So let's just hear what the Lord has to say. Amen. Let's hear what the Lord. You may be seated this morning. I'm excited to be here on this Sabbath morning to continue our series. Would you say amen? amen. How many of you got up early this week? <laughs> Lord have mercy. That thing ain't no joke, is it? <laughs> Boy, everybody. Yeah, it's amazing how we can run around here and just boast on how spiritual we are until the Lord puts a little challenge in front of us. Come on, say amen. Some of you said, I already get up early. Well, the challenge, the homework assignment was to get up earlier. <laughs> get up earlier. Why? Why do we want to get up earlier? Because uh, people that are hungry for the presence of God get up early. Yes, man. They get up early. <laughs> you need all the time you can get in his presence. Come on, say amen. Praise the Lord. i never forget, man, when I, for the first time, uh, Roscoe, uh, got a chance to see a Dallas Cowboy game. And I went down to that new stadium, called it uh, Jerry World, a $2 billion stadium in Dallas, Texas. Now, the game didn't start till 1, but uh, we had to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning just to get a seat. Come on in here. I said, Lord, look, look, look at all these people crowding into this worship arena. They're crowding into that worship arena huh? to worship the Dallas Cowboys. That's what it is. It's modern-day idolatry. Come on, say Amen. We pay money for it. We crowd in for it. And I said, Lord, what if that same enthusiasm that we have for teams and for shopping and and for Black Friday, come on, say amen, Cyber Monday, all these things that we get up early for. I said, what if if we took that approach to being in the presence of God? What what could God do in our lives if we had that kind of hunger and that kind of passion for God? Well, this year, you're going to have to have that kind of power because the theme for this year is the church has left the building. And one of the reasons why we're starting off this year talking about our personal time with God, establishing right habits, is because, number one, as we talked about last week, if you do not have a consistent uh, a prayer life, worship life, time in God's presence, when you walk up out of this building, oh, come on, do y'all remember the story in the book of Acts? When those guys, the seven sons of Sceva, were running around there trying to cast out devils? And the word of God, <laughs> this story is kind of funny. And the Bible says these brothers were going out, casting out devils. The demon stopped Paul's for a minute. said, wait a minute. I, he said, Paul, I know. <laughs> he said, Jesus, I know. But who are you? And the Bible says the demons came out of those men and began to beat those unpossessed of the spirit men to a bloody pope. And I think that's kind of what happens. It's easy to do church and spiritual things in the room. But when you walk out there, come on, say Amen. Come on, talk to me now. When you are out there, you can't fake that thing. People will know whether you got power or not. I never shall forget, I was in uh, Newport News, Virginia, and I was there preaching uh, the word of God. And uh, just as I got ready to get up to preach, uh, somebody in the church was demon-possessed. And I'm telling you, it shut the service down. Shut it down. Shut it down. I mean, it was pandemonia. It wasn't one of those things where you could just look past it. Shut it down. This sister... And for what I understand, she was the first time visitor that day. She came there and something that got the hold to her and they could not restrain her. The men could not restrain her. No one could restrain her. She had supernatural strength. She took over the service. And then I saw just a few old saints of God began to lay hands on that girl and pray over her. And the demon was cast out right there in that place. And I'm not going to lie to you while I'm standing there preaching. I was prepared to preach. I, I mean, I was ready to preach. I had a word, but I wasn't ready for no demon to come up in there. Come on in here, somebody. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting that that day. But this is what happens. This is what happens. When you are in the, this is what we're going to see today. When you spend time with God in his presence and you make the sacrifice, you get up early, you schedule God, what happens is, is God will tell you. He will tell you what your day will be like. 
Oh, I got a couple of amen. No, I'm serious. I'm not making this up. God will tell you. He will prepare you for what is to come. And even if he doesn't give you all the details, he will prepare you in such a way in those precious moments of solitude in his presence that no matter what comes your way, you are ready for the day. You're ready for the day. And this is why we must begin on it. Some folks say, no, I, I like to spend my time with God at my lunch break at 12 o'clock. Praise God for you, my sister and my brother. God bless you. I mean, let the Lord be praised. Daniel prayed at noon, did he not? Glory to God. But Daniel got his behind up early in the morning too. Come on, say amen. Listen, there, there's some devils that don't wait till 12 noon to act up. Come on in here, somebody. <laughs> there's some devils. <laughs> Listen, there's some devils that do not wait till your lunch break. Come on, say amen. I know that some demons, they wait for you as soon as you wake up. Come on, say amen. So you have to prepare your mind for what the day brings. Would you say amen? And so as we're going to be ready to go out here and take the city of Cleveland, uh, it, is Im- it is imperative that we preach and teach you the importance of having a, a secret place life with God. I mean, it's easy, as I said, it's easy to do church in the four walls. You don't even have to have the Holy Ghost. And people will never know inside the, in the four, four walls of church. We can do worship services. We can sing the hymns. You don't even have to have the Spirit of God. Mess around in here and go out in them streets and see if you don't got the Spirit see what will happen to you. Come on, you can't fake that. Go on home and see, <laughs> dealing with that crazy husband of yours and them crazy children and see if you can run around in there and just get by on routine. The devil is a lie. You got to have something within. Come on, say that holdeth the rain. Something within. I cannot explain. What's the song say? I, I think, I don't know. I'm glad I've got something within. Would you say amen? And so we discovered that 95% of your thoughts today are the same ones you had yesterday. Did we not discover that? Same thoughts. You had yesterday, even on the Lord's Sabbath, have mercy. Same thoughts you have yesterday. Why? Because we're creatures of habit. 45% of your actions today are the same as yesterday. And so we are creatures of habit. What this is basically saying is, is if we're going to see changes in our lives, then we're going to have to have some different habits. Come on, say amen. If the majority of our lives, about 50% of what we do on an average day, we have done yesterday. We've done, we, we did it just the same way yesterday. Then it's hard for us to say, God's going to do a new thing in my life in 2014. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> you ain't changed nothing. You ain't, you ain't shifted anything. You have not made any adjustments. It's just that simple. I believe God is powerful, but I, I strongly believe that God's spirit does not fall down on people who are sitting down. I believe that you have to seek after the spirit of God, and you have to be hungry. You've got to break some cycles. Somebody start break the cycle. Amen? Now, we, we discovered that in order to make the kind of shifts in our lives that need to be made, sometimes the, atten- the, the tendency is to look at all the things we need to change. How many can look over your life right now and you just, you're overwhelmed by the list? How many are overwhelmed by the list? All right. I am. And listen, by the way, if you ain't overwhelmed by the list, then you, uh, then you are blind to your own uh, condition. All right. You're really blind to your own condition. Those of you who are saying, no, nah, it's just a few things that God needs to work out in me. You, you're just blind. That's it. When I look at my life and I look at Jesus' life, the list gets longer and longer. Come on, say amen. By the fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the longer your list will be. Because you will see that you are more and more not like him, which is the way that changes happen. So, you don't need to change a bunch of habits to dramatically change your life. You need to focus on the key habits. The what, everybody? We call these keystone habits. Keystone habits. In other words, these are the kinds of habits that have the power to impact everything else in your life. And as I was reading this book called The Power of Habit by this brother Charles uh, Duhigg, uh, I realized, I said, man, if that is not the life of Christ, and it hit me today, this is just a two-part series, it hit me today that Jesus only had two keystone habits. That's it, two habits. 
two. His life was super simple, and we're going to break down the second habit today. So the first habit we discovered of Christ, what was his main keystone habit? He did what? He scheduled God. He scheduled God. Now, I know that sounds weird to some people, but I like how practical it sounds. If you do not schedule God, God will not be in your schedule. If you do not make time, Daniel, again, is another example that we use. Daniel prayed in the morning, come on, at noon. Three times a day, Daniel prayed. That's a good example for us. Daniel had a plan. He scheduled time with God. If you do not schedule time with God, it's not going to happen. I don't care how spiritual you are. I'm the pastor of this church. If I don't schedule time with God, it won't happen. And a lot of times what happens in my life is that church stuff comes up. And listen, as noble as church stuff is, I mean, I can go visit the sick. Listen, if I have visited the sick, but I've not spent time with God, I'm out of order. I'm out of order. Come on, say amen. I don't care what the emergency is. My life should not be based around emergencies. My life is not based around, as Stephen Covey said, the urgent. But mine is based around the important. Some of us let the urgent and the emergencies dominate our lives. And so we're running from here. We're running from there. We're trying to put this fire out. We're trying to fix that situation. But if you notice Christ's life, Christ's life, Christ was never in a hurry. He was never in a hurry. Never. Nothing ever flustered him. He was never stressed out. And we were talking about somebody who had the weight of the world on his shoulders. But you always saw him cool, calm, and collected. Uh, for example, you remember the story of, 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 J- of J- J- Jairus came, wanted his daughter healed. And then the woman with the issue of blood showed up and broke it up. Jairus was all stressed out. Wait a minute, he's healing her. And, and, but my daughter, and the Bible says she died. The little girl died. And, and Jesus wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't bothered. I get there. <laughs> when I get there, it'll be all right. Lazarus, same thing. They were tripping four days. He's dead. Come on, what are you doing? When I get there, I'll get there. I'm not in a hurry. I'm on schedule. (laughs) Lord, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. And so we have to schedule time with God. Notice what the Word of God says, how our time with God, our what everybody, I want you to get this, our what everybody, our what everybody, our time with God is such a keystone habit. When I say keystone, I want you to understand this. You might want to write this down. Keystone means this is a habit that's more important than other habits because it has the ability to affect other habits. Remember what we told you last week? We gave you the illustration of families eating together. Studies show that if your family eats together once a day, your kids' grades will go up. Their vocabulary will improve. Your daughters are less likely to get pregnant out of wedlock. You'll be healthier. You'll lose weight if you eat one meal a day together. You see how that one little shift has the power to affect other areas. That's a keystone habit. What kind of habit did I say that is, everybody? It's a keystone habit. So what you need to begin to understand today is, okay, pastor taught us last week what the first keystone habit. The first keystone habit is I need to schedule time with God. Now, notice how the Bible in 2 Chronicles 7 demonstrates how prayer and worship is a keystone habit. I love this. The Bible says, read everybody, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and have mercy and pray, somebody took it off the screen, and say, hey, media team, y'all took my, uh, my presentation off the screen in there, amen, but y'all know the text, if my people who are called by my name will humble, there we go, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, what will happen? Huh? No, 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 that ain't the text, y'all supposed to be quoting, that's another text. I wanted y'all to finish out the text. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face. Come on, quote the Bible. Turn from their wicked way. Then what's going to happen? I'll forgive sins. What else will he do? 
I'll heal your land. Listen, you just got two for one. Did you see what happened there? If, I, if my people will seek me in prayer, he said, I'll give them a two for one. I'll heal their land. I'll forgive their sins. See, that one habit has the power to affect other areas of your life. Do you understand what we're saying here? All right, let's keep on going here. Uh, now, in Psalms 91, it says, he who dwells where? In the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So just by going in the secret place, I get more than I bargained for. Just by closing my door, dedicating time with God, I, I now am able to abide in the presence of God. And for those of you that know Psalms 91, what a, what a passage. This is a good text to read every day. Uh, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my God, and him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fire, et cetera, et cetera. And then it goes on down to the end uh, where it says, uh, 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 he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all ways, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So one of the things you see in Psalms 91 is there is this a constant, keep my presentation up there, please. There is a constant, a constant flow of blessings by one decision. How many decisions, everybody? By one decision. By one decision, one decision. I'm going to make up my mind that in 2014, I know there's a lot of things I need to change, but one thing I'm going to be committed to, I'm going to be committed to time with God in the morning. I'm not going to let anything interfere with it. And you've heard me say this over and over again. You can tell what the devil is afraid of by what he tries to keep you from doing. He ain't stopping nobody from going to work. Well, some of you, I mean, you know. I mean, but, but by and large, I mean, you make it to work. You, you ain't missing no meals. Come on, say amen. He ain't scared when you're eating. What he is afraid. I mean, you make it to church every Sabbath. But ain't it interesting how difficult it is to make time for God by yourself? Why, you ever thought about Why is that? You know, why, why is it so tough to spend time with God? Because he doesn't want you to. He knows that is where power is. He knows that's where your life is changed. Surely great things can happen at church on Sabbath, but the real power happens in the secret place. And we use Christ as an example. Mark 135. Read, everybody. The Bible says very early in the what? While it was still dark, Jesus. Who's your example? Who's your example? Huh? Who's your example? Now, I, I pointed out myself, and I'm giving you some other examples today, but the example for us in getting up early in the morning is Jesus Christ. The Bible says Jesus got up, and what else did he do? He left the house, and he went off. To a solitary place where he did what? He prayed. All right, there goes the rest of that verse. Now, so here we learned three things from Christ's prayer life. Number one, he had a time to pray. Hopefully you got this down. You got a, he had a time to pray, pray. He had a what? Place to pray, and he had a way of praying. Now, the way Jesus prayed, which was allowed, could not happen laying in the bed uh, in the same house as those that he stayed with. Come on, say amen. In order for you to really get real with God, and for God to, I love how Ellen White says it. She says, for God to scrutinize and, and, and criticize the motives of your life, where you, exp- you lay bare before him. You are naked, if you please, before God. And he is able to do the surgery that is necessary. People that, the self-righteous people must not spend time with God. How can you be self-righteous and you are in God's presence and you are looking at King of kings and Lord of lords? And like Isaiah, you're saying, holy is the Lord. What did, what did Isaiah say when he saw God? Isaiah said this, very good. He said, woe is me. (laughs) If you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, you know what Isaiah says? He's saying, woe to everybody else. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to this person. Woe to that. Woe to this city. Woe to that nation. As soon as the Bible says that uh, Isaiah 6, another powerful text of what happens in the secret place. Isaiah 6, I know I'm talking fast, but I need to get where I'm going. Isaiah 6, the Bible says, and he saw the Lord in his secret place, high and lifted up, and his glory did what? It filled the temple. And the Bible says that he didn't have a lot of things to say. Oh, thank God. for The first thing that came out of his mouth was, woe is me. This is what happens when you're in the presence of God. When you are in God's presence, you see yourself. 
Come on, say amen. And that's why it's imperative that not only you spend time with them, but you have a place, a designated place where it is your, that's my spot for worship. Do not disturb me here. Leave me alone. Husband, wives, come on, say amen. They ought to know. <laughs> Children, eh, eh, eh. no, no, no. We, we don't bother mommy at this time. We don't bother grandpa at this time. We don't bother daddy at this time. We, wh- where is he? He's gone for a walk this morning. We know where he is. He has gone to the secret place. It ought to be regimented. It ought to be planned. You ought to be like a soldier that cannot be diverted from his responsibility and his assignment. I've got my place with God, and when I go in there, something is going to happen. Come on, say amen. Christ, alone with God. Notice what the uh, Spirit of Prophecy says to this end. Prayer is the breath of the what? Now, the word breath, if you don't have no breath in your body, I heard somebody say it. It's what? It's life. Prayer is the life of the soul. Your soul is dead if you're not in prayer, if you're not committed to the secret place. It says it is the what? I love this. It is the what, everybody? The secret of what? People that have power in their lives are people who are committed to time with God in the secret place. Are you getting this this morning? I mean, this can't, I, can't, I can't make it even clearer than this. People that have power are people who are co- committed to time in God's presence. No other, I love this, no other means of what, everybody, grace can be substituted. Did you catch that? You can't substitute, you can't get power from anything else except time in God's presence in the secret place. You can't manipulate it. In other words, if I've not spent time with God, I can't stand up here and, and just use charisma. <laughs> now, now, listen, I, I know people that can get up there and they can be very charismatic and, and people will be moved by their presentation and their eloquence and so forth and so on. I've seen people sing and their voice is beautiful, melodious. I mean, it's not like if the spirit is not on you, if you're not spending time with God, then you'll sing off pitch. That's not, you'll still sound good. It's just that no yokes will be destroyed. No anointing. No lives will be changed. Nothing will happen. Uh, people will shout. They'll still, I mean, they cry, all that kind of stuff. But nothing will happen. And I have seen the opposite. I've seen people less skilled, less gifted. Their, their sermon, not as powerful as we like. They didn't raise their voice at all the right places. They didn't get us to shout and laugh and all that kind of stuff. But it was just a straight word right down. Boom, boom, boom. Bible, power, Holy Ghost on them. Lives change. Hundreds, thousands coming to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they spent time in the secret place. No other means of grace can be substituted. In other words, if I'm in the church for 40 years, yeah. <laughs> That's what Satan laughs at that. Ah, oh, they've been in the church for 40 years. Oh, very good. Well, congratulations. Because I have removed angels. I have removed angels that were in heaven for, for, for eons. So, so longevity means nothing to me. <laughs> Satan said, come on. I, have, I deceived angels, and they were in the church longer than you were. <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything. He says nothing can be substituted. She says nothing can be substituted. And the health of the soul be what? Preserved. Watch this. I love this part right here. Prayer brings the heart into, ooh. Immediate. <laughs> come on, come on, Protestants. Protestants say amen. Because the Catholic Church told you that you needed a go-between. Come on, say amen. But wherever you are, immediate, immediate contact with the wellspring of life and the and strengthens the sinews. I love the language. And muscle of the religious experience. Prayer is an exercise. And then it goes and says, neglect the exercise of prayer. Or engage in prayer spasmodically. What does it mean, spasmodically? What does that mean? Every now and then, right? It says, now and then, as she says, as seems convenient, <laughs> if my schedule will allow, and you lose your hold on God. And I, can I get anybody to testify to that end? Can I get anybody to testify to that? How many know that to be true? Listen, even when I have time with God, I was telling the testifying this morning on the prayer line. There are times I've got up and spent time with God and still messed up. 
So what you going to look like if you ain't spent no time with it? Come on. <laughs> oh, now notice she says, she says the spiritual faculties lose their vitality. You're dead. The religious experience lacks health and vigor. Oh, I love, I love the language of, of, of Sister White. So success in worship. We gave you some practical tips. Just want to remind you guys. Hopefully you're practicing these things. You're trying. You're not going to give up. You're not going to say, I, I, I woke up late. I only did one day this week. Well, praise God, you did one day this week, and you didn't do none the week before. Come on, say amen. We're one up, right? So first thing is we're telling you in order to make this shift, you got to get up early. You got to have, this is so crucial, you have to have a plan. You can't just get up and say, I'm going to spend time with God, and then and you pull your quarterly and go through that and say, well, what am I going to do next? And, and then, no, no, no. You have to plan. Say, this is what I'm going to do for this amount of time every day. I've already planned it. Before the day gets here, I've got a plan. How many have a plan? How many have started uh, preparing a plan? Praise the Lord. This week, you'll do it too. Amen? Next, uh, you'll prepare for it. you prepare for it. So, for example, um, I use my phone a lot for devotion, all right, or my iPad. And the other day, because I was lazy, I did not charge it the night before. And it has all my plans in it. And so I didn't prepare for it. I woke up the next day, and my, it was dead. Now, now easily, I could have got, gotten my Bible, but I messed up my plan. And so I was off kilter. I was off schedule in the morning. In other words, when you go to bed at night, you need to be thinking, okay, now what time am I going to get up? What have, have I got my Bible laid out? Do I have my shoes in place? Is my room prepared for me to go in there? You understand what I'm saying? You are preparing for an appointment with God. The place needs to be set. Next, number four, you must protect it. You must protect your time with God. You must be stubborn about it. I will not let. You got to fight is what I'm saying. You have got to fight in, for your time with God. How many know that to be true? You got to fight for everything in the world. And most of it's good stuff. Oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> Come on and say. I mean, it's, not, it's nothing bad. These are great things. Oh, man, great, beautiful thing. Work. Oh, all the things that God's blessed you with. But these are all satanic attempts to keep you out of the presence of God. You got to protect it. And then finally, you got to stay with it. Somebody shout, stay with it. In other words, no matter how bad it gets, I'm going to stick with this thing. So I told you, Sister Ratneys. I told you, Sister Ratneys. So I'm gonna, we're just reviewing the first principle is spend time with God. Schedule God. The first keystone habit that I need to implement in 2014, I need to schedule God. The first keystone habit that I need to implement in 2014, I need to schedule time with God. I need to have a plan. I'm not going to be lazy about it. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to preserve it. I've got to schedule time with God. Sister Radney has a plan, and we showed you. She reads Psalms 1 first, Psalms 8, Psalms 27, Psalms 37, Psalms 51. Um, Psalm 63, Psalms 115, Psalms 117, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. This is her plan. What else? She prays three times a day, and her trusted drawer is her altar. That's a plan. It's her plan. She works her plan. What is your plan? Have you planned your plan? Amen? Here's my plan. This is a 4.30 to 5 o'clock in the morning. A special place is set aside. Music, praise is what I do first. I read a psalm simultaneously. Then I go to an Ellen White devotional. Then I read through the cross narrative. Then I do my chronological Bible study. Uh, and now I'm reading also, I always have a selected book that I read. I'm reading One Way Love by Tulian Chichivan. I finally got it right. And then I, I do my uh, prayer journal. And by the way, while I'm doing all this stuff, I'm not just reading for, for information's sake. Please don't miss this. I'm reading and praying simultaneously. As I'm reading, I'm praying. I, I, don't, I don't read, then pray, then sing. I'm praying, reading, and singing simultaneously. It's all prayer. It's all prayer. It's all worship. We're, we're, I'm worshiping through the reading. I'm worshiping as I'm journaling. I write out all my prayers. I write them out. I journal everything. Some of you need to do that because you're tempted to go to sleep. 
the more engaged, and I'm going to show you, Pastor Coxon gives us good counsel. When, the more engaged you are in your devotion, the more likely you are to get something out of it. But if all your devotion and your time with God consists of is sitting down and reading, you are oh, dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. If you just sit and read and just gathering information. I used to make this mistake early on, Pastor Coxon, as I'll, I'll be studying for my sermons. <laughs> Come on now. You can't, this is God's time. I mean, it's not time to get ready for the church. This is my time to get a word for my life. I've got to have a plan. I've got to work that plan. And then after I'm done that, I get it. I have my circle list. I've got about 82 names right now. Of course, your name is on there. Uh, but not all of you. I mean, some, I, I'll be honest. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, you know, some preachers get up and say, I pray for every one of my members every day. That's a lie. I don't do that. <laughs> so, now, I cover you sometimes. Bless the church, Lord. But there, I don't have time. There, there, are, there are certain individuals the Lord raises before me that I have to give special time to. No, no disrespect to you, but there are names that are lifted. How many of y'all pray for every name in the church? Maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you take the role and you go by every name. I'm just saying I don't do that. Please don't be offended by that because God calls me sometimes to give time and attention to certain names. There are 82 right now that I'm working with, 82 names, 85, 85 names right now of situations where God has put on my heart. And if your name comes up, if you give me your request, it'll get on that list. But I'm giving attention to that, and that's my circle in a prayer, in accessory prayer list. And after that, uh, I exercise. So John Coxon, John, Pastor Coxon was very kind to share with us what his strategy is. John Coxon's strategy is uh, he, 6 a.m., says he gets up at 5, but be, between 5 and 6 a.m., he likes to get started. And I like it. Very interesting. Pastor Coach said he listens to music, but more often than not, he will take out his guitar. Most of you didn't know, uh, John Coltham is very much like David, uh, the psalmist. You know, he, uh, he, he plays the string instruments. Come on, say amen. <coughs> we need to hear Pastor Coltham play the guitar more in, in church sometimes. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. The Lord has blessed him, given him the voice to sing, but he will not use it for God. God will take it from him. God will take it if he does not use it. So, but Pastor Coxham says, he, he not only, and I wish, I wish I was a Michelle Levy or one of these. I mean, I wish I had the gift to play an instrument because I would do that thing too. John says he starts his morning playing the guitar and singing hymns to God. <laughs> I wish I could be a fly on the wall to hear the, the praises of God. No, that's between you and God, right? <laughs> so that's how he starts. Then he goes to an Ellen White devotional, very similar to what I do. And now he's in the book of a Bible, uh, book of the Bible, Jeremiah. He's reading verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. And right beside the Bible or, or his iPad, he has a notepad, and he is journaling thoughts that the Holy Spirit is depositing in his spirit for his life simultaneously. Do you see how interactive? It's not just sitting. There's movement. There's interacting. There's talking. He's crying out. He's singing to the top of his voice. There's no way you go to sleep and you get bored. When you got all that going on, Lord, have, anybody can do this. Hallelujah. And then he reads an article. He gets uh, church leaders, and they, and they give very inspirational articles. He reads that, and then he prays. Then he prays. And so he gives us three suggestions. John says, wake up early. He says, singing is a big deal for him. That is what jolts his spirit, getting that guitar out like David the psalmist, writing psalms before the Lord. <laughs> And then, <laughs> yeah, you didn't say that. No, he didn't say it. Okay, I did that person. I added that part. He's not writing music. But he's singing, and then he, has a, he, he says he, he encourages everyone to get a book. Get a book uh, that uh, speaks to your situation. I'm reading One Way Love right now. I'm not sure. What are you reading right now, Pastor Colton? Discovering Jesus. And, and there's a reason why. Let me tell you, and this, um, of course, when you're a preacher or when you're in the Lord's work, I mean, when you're depositing all these things in your spirit, God will begin to preach. I mean, you're a deeper person. I like to think I'm a person of depth. 
There's no shallowness here because I'm pouring. My well is getting deeper. I'm pouring things in. I'm not just repeating what I, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Isn't there no, no cliche? I've got stuff in me that when the spirit is ready, he can pull it out. Oh, my God. So part two, this is very simple. Jesus only has two habits. I was amazed by this, Madison Wood. Okay, okay, I mean, I'm thinking Jesus' life is so complicated. Jesus only did two things. John, it came to me yesterday. Two things. That's it. I was like, maybe it's three. No, every preacher wants to make it three points. Not three. Jesus had two things that he did that made his life so powerful. I want to show you this now. Here's the second thing. Keystone habit number two. And this is where we all drop the ball. He practiced purpose. He practiced it. Another word for purpose is obedience. Your purpose in life, can I tell you what it is? Some uh, People all the time say, Pastor, I'm trying to discover my purpose. I'm about to tell you right now. You know what your purpose is? Obey. That's it. As a matter of fact, and most of the time when people are talking about their purpose, they want to know what, what job they're going to have or, or you know, what great thing they're going to do for God. Here it is. I'm going to tell you right now. You will, you will get to that place when you obey. Purpose operates very much like a GPS system. Or like a, a, a directions to get somewhere. If you turn down this street, you'll get here. And your destination is somewhere down there. If I turn here, I'll turn here. And I follow this step and I follow that step. And eventually I'll get where I'm going. Would you say amen? That is how purpose works. Purpose is another word for obedience. God is not going to tell everybody what they're called to do in life. Some people, everything, there's this new teaching now where everybody's supposed to know exactly who they're supposed to be. You don't always know. The Bible says you don't know what we shall be. We just know that when he appears, we will be like him. Come on, say amen. We may not know where he is going, the journey, but here's the sweet thing about the journey. He says, I will trust you with where I'm taking you if I can trust you with obeying. So, Jesus practiced his purpose. What was his purpose? I don't, a practice is such a key word. Practice gives you the impression that there is redundancy. Pra- people practice. Remember Allen Iverson a few years ago? You know, they got on him because of something. And he said, practice. <laughs> I'm talking, we're talking about the game. Yes, Allen, practice is important. You have to practice. Practice suggests that I'm in preparation for what is about to happen, for where God is taking me. Many of us do not practice obedience. And, and here's the disconnect. And I, and I finally got, and Coxman and I were in Panera Bread yesterday, and I was trying to get understanding on this issue, and it became very clear to me. This is why Jesus only had two habits. Because in his time with God privately, that gave his public life power. People's public life generally has no power or significance or impact because they have not, they have, there's been a disconnect between their private life and their public life. Something should happen between, between my private life and my public life. And there are some people, and I'll tell you right now, I spend time with God, but my life doesn't look like Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, so, well, I spend time with God. Well, how come I'm not healing people and raising the dead and doing all that kind of stuff? I can, tell, I can tell you why right now. You know what the missing link is? Because when, there is a disconnect in your t- private time with God. If you are in his presence, inevitably the main goal of spending private time with God is not to give him prayer requests. It's, it, 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 it's not even praise. You know what it is? It's to hear from God. There, oh, I love this. There is nothing more coveted in the Christian's life than this one thing I heard from him. That is the pinnacle 
of being a Christian. That like Enoch, you walk with him. And there is no one-way relationship going. You're able, oh, my God. You are able, as Pastor Coxham talked about last week, like Samuel, speak, Lord. When I leave my closet, or, or in my case, when I leave my living room on that special couch that I have put aside and I have my books on my left and my right and my plan is there and my laptop is in front of me, at the end of the day, after all, I want to know that I heard from God. I, I don't want it to be a one. I want to have heard from him. And so Jesus had two simple habits that, he, that changed the course of his destiny. Number one, he got in God's presence. And when he was in his presence in those scheduled times, he heard from God. Here's what happened next. Because he heard from God, which we'll see momentarily, he was then able to obey what he heard God say, which made his life so powerful. All right, let me show you. All right. So how can obedience be a habit? All right. So those, those, are, my, those are my children. Do you see that look they have on their faces? <laughs> That's the look that they have on their faces when my wife and I ask them to do stuff. <laughs> now, listen. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Y'all pray for me. But sometimes I ask my kids to do stuff that I could do myself. Come downstairs and get the remote. Remote is right over there. Come on, see. Huh? I'm sorry. Call it abuse if you want to. I, there's stuff I can do. Wash the dishes. I could do it. Wash the dishes. Huh? The new thing now is, uh, you know, uh, we, we have all these chores and so forth and so on. And uh, I can take the trash out. You get up and take out the trash. You know what I'm doing? I am teaching them to learn how when I say something, to do it. Whether it makes sense or not. Do what I tell you to do. Get in the habit of obeying your father so that when the important times come. Are y'all with me? And I tell you to do something and you're not sure if it's the right thing to do. You're so used, Nina, to listening to what I have been telling you and finding that my voice can be trusted. So when those moments come, I will obey. The first lesson we teach our children is what? Obedience. First Corinthians 9 says this. He says, therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as one who beats the air, but here's the key word, but I do what? The word discipline gives the impression of practice. To train. He says, I train my body. Obedience is a habit to be practiced. I train my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be qualified. Paul is saying, look, he says, I am, I am, I am, I, my life is like an athlete. I love Usain Bolt. I'm just a beast. Is uh, that's right? He's beast. Just a beast. Look, look at this guy. Look at the musculature. I mean, they they are all they're together right now. But how many know what's about to happen? I've seen this before. And, and this brother right here from America, I was ex I was excited because in that in the last Olympics, he was in step with him. I said, "Oh, it's our season." Listen, just I mean, just so cool, calm, and collected. I mean, his, he just, it looks like he takes like ten steps. And just boom, power, pow, gone. 
breaking records. And, and, and listen, the same is true with all these athletes. You know what? It's their regimen. It's their training. There's a new thing on him on, I believe it's on Netflix. Um, just talks about his training. See, we see these guys, oh, they're so good to know this guy works hard. He puts his, he doesn't want to eat the stuff he eats. He doesn't want to have to go to bed. He wants to party and hang out, but he knows if he's going to win these races, he's got to tell himself no. He's got to train himself. Ah, thank you. He's got to, sometimes when you don't want to obey, you got to obey. Because you are trying to tame the beast. Y'all know what these are, right? Somebody, a dog person, tell me what these are. These are pit bulls. Now, when these little jokers are like this, I mean, they're just so cute, you know what I'm saying? Um, mess around and not train them right. You got to tame the beast. They're as cute as they are. I mean, just precious. But it's a killer. It is a killer. And if it is not trained, if it is not taught to obey, if you don't beat it over the head sometimes, come on in here, somebody. Sometimes the practices sometimes are strength. But if you don't train that beast, that beast one day might show out on you. And that's how you are. You are a beast. Henry Wright said it. He says, the beast within you, inside of you, there is this old man that wants to rise up and have his way. All the time. You want to have your way. And, 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 and you have to struggle and fight and discipline and train. Jesus' whole life was a life of saying no to himself. Matthew 5 says this. Now, see, here's the problem with, with habit. Because many of you guys have habits and traditions, but your habits are disconnected from your heart. And notice what Christ says. He says, for I say unto you that unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees were real. I mean, look, if you looked at you, those guys are disciplined. Those guys, they have all the right habits. They keep all the rules, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. See, listen, the goal of life is not to get up early in the morning. The goal of life is to be in God's presence. If I've got to be in God's presence, if I've got to get up early in the morning to be in God's presence, in other words, I'm not worshiping the habit. I'm not, I come to church every Sabbath. So what? Is God in your life as a result of coming here every Sabbath? I get up seven. People that boast about when they get up, I mean, it drives me crazy because they're bringing glory to the, I wake up, you you could say, I get up at 6 o'clock. And, of course, there's always somebody in the room saying, well, I get up at (laughs) 3. And then you know it's going to be somebody else. (laughs) I get up at 2. You lying, man. Ain't nobody get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. Unless you go to bed at 4 in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, somebody's sitting here, no, no, Pastor, I do get up at 2 o'clock. Yeah, whatever. But I'm saying we're always trying to look to strive to make ourselves better than we are. That's not why we get up in the morning. That's not why we practice obedience. We do this because we want him. Two habits. That's all Jesus had. That's all I'm saying. This year, just say, look, I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm going to practice obedience which is practicing purpose, and I'm going to flip it another way. I love the way Pastor Colton says it. I'm going to practice saying no to myself. Oh. Oh, that's good stuff right there. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I was, I was looking for a better response than that. You know you had that one line, and you're like, now when I drop this line, the people are going to be slain. The, it, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. Look, brother, did you hear what I just said? That is so practical. Oh, my gosh. How did Jesus obey? He practiced saying no to himself. Christ's life was so powerful because it was so what? 
So what? He sought God. God spoke. He obeyed. And the result of this is the most powerful life ever lived. Life becomes complicated and powerless when we don't practice listening and obeying. So I'm going to tell you what Christianity is, and basically it's two things. Here's Christianity. I listen to God. I obey him. I hear from him. I obey. Say that one more time. What is Christianity? I love him so much, so I listen to him. I believe that what he says for my life is so powerful, so important, and gives me such guidance that I do what he says. That's it. I hear him, and I do what he says. That's Christianity. All right? Here are the key texts. First, there are three things that we see about Jesus' life on how he practiced obedience. Three things, all right? Number one, he got direction from God in the secret place, right? And I I love this, too. This is another one of those moments where you're like, okay, now. And and then the second thing is he would declare, he would (laughs) declare what God said. Sometimes God speaks to us, but we don't speak it over our lives. There's a reason why we do that, psychologically and spiritually. So, and I'm going to show you in the text. He would get direction from God in his presence early in the morning. God would speak to him, and then then he would declare what God had just told him. He would say it to himself and other people, and then he would do what God said. Where the pen's at? You know, when you're preaching this, you're envisioning, oh, they will be taking notes in this section. I can see them scribbling it. You know, no, no one's doing it right now. <laughs> All right, so you get direction from God, declare what God said, and then do what God says. Here it goes. I'm going to show it to you right now. The Bible says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So in that time of prayer, he heard from God, right? All right, you ready? Next. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. All right, watch this now. Key line there is, is that is why. Now, how could Jesus speak so clear about what his next move would be? And, and, And notice what he says. That's why I've come. You know why he had that clarity of purpose? Because he had just heard from God. So we hear from God. God gives clear direction on our purpose. And notice what he does. He declares it. He says, that is why I have come. See, you can't declare over your life what your purpose is if you ain't hearing from God. I love this, man. That is why I have come. Most folk can't say that. Their lives are paying bills and surviving and and from holiday to holiday and from weekend to weekend. But Jesus, God, I mean, his purpose woke him up in the morning. I've heard from God. That's why. Let's go here. Why? Because that's why I've come to do. How do you know that? He told me. And then notice what happens. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Why did he do that? Because he had just heard from God to do it. Luke, another example. Luke, Bible says at daybreak, same thing. Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving. Now, I don't know, one point I want to make real quick is every time Jesus would spend time with God, there was always something competing for his time. Somebody's looking for him. Where's Jesus at? What's he doing? No, 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 not right now. I'll get there when I get there. But right now I'm with my daddy. I got to know what my assignment is. And notice this. There were a lot of people that needed to be healed in Jesus. Jesus didn't heal everybody. Don't mistake his compassion for recklessness. 
Y'all remember with the man at the pool of Bethesda? He walked by a bunch of sick people to heal one man. See, when you don't understand, when you've not heard from God, you'll walk into a hospital room and pray for somebody to be healed, and God don't want them to be healed. That's why you throw them taglines at your prayer, if it be thy will, because you don't know. These guys, when they would pray, God would tell them, pray that their soul be saved. They're not going to make it. Or pray that they be healed. See, when God tells you somebody's going to be healed and you pray, oh, it's a different prayer. Oh, I mean, I've heard from God. I'm not shooting into the wind. They're going to throw that tag if it be thy will. And I'm not saying God tells you all the time. But what I'm saying, the point I'm making is, is that you need to know that you have heard from God. Secret place lets you hear from God. And then watch what happens. But he said, I must look at the clarity of his purpose. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also. And I love it because that is why I was sent. Do you guys see it? He would hear from God, and then he would declare, okay, God told me th- to do this. And then he would declare his purpose, this is what I'm supposed to do. And the amazing thing about Christ is, from the time he was a kid, his mother and them, they went to go look for him because they were ready to go. And he told his mama, watch yourself. I'm your son, but I'm also your father. Ah, and I must be about my father's business. Come on in here, somebody. Oh, boy, I remember I tried that with my mama one time. Did I tell you all this story? Uh, when, I, when I was a little boy, uh, <laughs> I remember I was a little boy, and uh, I had done something disrespectful. I mean, I was, in, I was, I, I was backsliding. I, I couldn't have been seven, seven, years, seven, eight years old, and I had done something wrong. And in front of everybody, this is my mom messed up, though. In front of everybody, it was on Sabbath. She had guests over. She had a place full for folk every Sabbath. My mom said, now you go on upstairs. And you, and you pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And then you come back down here, this is where she messed up, and tell me what God has said. <laughs> and the Spirit of God rose up in your boy. Huh? When I went up there, I, I heard from that. I'm just giving you what I told. And it was about 15 minutes. Yeah, about 15 minutes. God, I didn't ask, that's about an hour for somebody eight years old. Man, I was crying out to the Lord. Man, heaven came down. Glory filled my little soul. And then I marched back downstairs with the glow of heaven all over me. And my mom said, she said, uh, now what did Jesus say to you? And I said, he told me to keep up the good work. Hey, come on in here, somebody. (laughs) I should have been dead. Come on, say amen. (laughs) Hey, but listen, notice now, Christ had clarity of purpose because they were from God. Look at that key line at the end. Because this is why I was sent. Can you say that? And then what happened? After he declared over his life what his purpose was, then he did it. This is where we miss it. See, right now, God is speaking to many of you. In the early mornings, God tells you to do stuff, and most of the time it's crazy. I'm serious. When God speaks to me, the reason why I'm not really obedient is because I'm really scared to do the stuff he tells me to do. See, I don't practice obedience. I guarantee you, if you do the stuff that you don't want to do, the other stuff will come naturally easier. You need to find that one thing God's been telling you to do in your life right now that's difficult and do that thing. 
Some of us right now, the Bible talks about sins of commission and sins of omission. And we're so hard on folk of sins of commission. They did that. They did this. They smoked. They drank. They club. They womanized. They homosexual. They this, that, and that. Shut your mouth. Because you are just as much of a sinner to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. There's some stuff God told you to do and you ain't done it yet. I don't care if you're 75 years old. If God told you to go to college, you better take your 75-year-old behind down to Tri-C, down to Cleveland State, and enroll tomorrow. You make excuses. Moses did the same thing. And God said, who made your mouth? The problem, the problem is not that we're not hearing from God. The problem, Pastor Coxham, is that we don't practice obedience. It's not a habit in your life. You obey when you want to. God help me. That's why Jesus has such, I'm done. That's why he has such clarity. He would be in the presence of his father. God would speak to him. And then the word of God says, he would declare it. He would say, this is why I have come. You know, so, oh, like a bell went off. And it, oh, this, I'm, going, I'm going to preach in Samaria tomorrow because the Lord has told me in his presence. And then he would reinforce it by saying, this is why I'm alive. So what would happen? You get direction from God. What else? You declare what God said. This is important. You must declare it. And then you do what he said. Come on, say amen. I love what John 8, 29 says. A few more texts. It says, the one who sent me is with me. I love this. He has not left me alone. <laughs> what does it say? For I always, Lord, have mercy. I always do those things that please him. Look at your girl. She says, so utterly. Well, I don't, I'm, 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 so utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made no plans for himself. Obedience is saying no to yourself. Can I keep going? How much time do we have? I'm almost done. Oh, yeah, we're on schedule. He accepted, watch this, watch this, watch this. I don't want you to miss any of these words. He accepted God's plans for him. And day by day, the father unfolded his. People that don't know what they're about in life, can I tell you why? You ain't spending time with God. And then I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Well, see, when I have devotion, I, I don't get nothing out of it. And, and, and I don't hear from God. And I can tell you what. See, devotion is a muscle, too, that must be exercised. It's just like any relationship. My communication with my wife is much better than it was when I first got married. You know why? Because I hung in there. She hung in there. We kept working on it. It's the same thing with God. You think he's just going to come out of nowhere and speak out of the winds audibly to you? He wants you to wrestle with that thing and stay in there. Every day his plans were unfolded. And then he says, should we depend upon God? So, so should we depend upon God. That our lives, and there goes that word, may be the simple outworking of his. Did you hear that? that see, the reason why Christ worked miracles and did all that powerful stuff, Demario, you know why? It wasn't because he was God. 
It wasn't because he was God. Listen, if Jesus worked miracles because he was God, then, in other words, if he came down here as God, everyone would have been healed all the time. He, he would not be able to contain himself. From the, he, he had selective movements led by God. And I love what Ellen says, and I think we're going to see it in a moment. She says that everything that he did was because of his time and his presence with his father. And that is, that is to be an example to us. We don't got no power in the church because the church is getting worldly and we're going back. and, and, and uh, no, no, you don't have no power. That's why the church don't got no power. You don't got no power. When, who the last person you spoke a word over their life and something happened? And you all, uh, we don't got no. <laughs> Let me go on, man. <laughs> we, are, we are something else. Come on, say amen. His thoughts are mine. Here it is. All true obedience. Now this, oh, Lord. I, I found this on the, I mean, the Holy Ghost dropped this on me at the last minute. It says all true obedience comes from the, it was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, he will, now this is mind-blowing. You've read this. He will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims. Get ready. To, you already have your mind blown? So blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will. And here it is. That when obeying him, we shall be carrying out our own impulses. I'm going to break that down in a minute. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. In other words, you ain't going to be mad when God tells you to do something. When we, know God as, when we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life, these things stagger me, will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through what? Where, where does it happen? Through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. So let me let me tell you let me let me tell you something real quick. That's it. So 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 what will happen is this. The long, the more often we are committed to being in God's presence, right? Um, let me back let me back up and just show you this line. This is my line. I'm done. This is it. Oh, have mercy. Oh, I see lights here. Yes. So what will happen is this. You will be in His presence, seeking Him faithfully, dedicated scheduled planned time with him and then over time his voice will be louder and louder clearer and clearer you'll begin to discern the difference between his voice and yours you'll know okay that's not me that's that's him and, and then what will happen is is it says you you and christ will start getting so one so close that like christ when you have you noticed when christ was out doing ministry he would never pause and pray and ask his father what he wanted him to do. Because what happened was, is him and his father, he and his father, right? He and his father had gotten so close that it says that his own impulses, and in other words, the things that he wanted to do were God's will. <laughs> Listen, another one of those moments where you think that it's just going <laughs> to fall down. Did, brothers and sisters, did you hear what I said? See, right now, we're not there. But can you imagine getting to a place where you say, I want to do this. And when you say, I want to do this, you're so close to him that what you want to do is really what he wants you to do. 
are so close now that every five minutes, like these characters when I was in school, let's kneel and pray. Why? The Lord has spoken. Well, I'm praying for. He's already given a word. I'm just going to do it. All right. Father in heaven. Two, two habits. You were committed. You scheduled time with your, your father. And then you practiced what he told you to do. To the extent that when the big day came in the Garden of Gethsemane, you were so used to obeying him that when your will got confused with his will, you declared, not my will, but thine be done. My brothers and sisters, someone's here today. You're here. You are here this morning. And I'm going I'm to make this appeal as difficult as possible. There is something in front of you right now where you have heard from God. He has told you what to do. You have not done it. Come right now. Come. The Lord, if that's you, come. You don't want to do it. You're afraid to do it. You don't see how it will work out if you do it. But he told you, do it. If the Lord is speaking to you, if that's you, I want you to stand and come flood this altar right now. Come and flood this altar right now. That simple. That simple. Just two things, two habits. He says, I'm committed to my time with my, but, but I, I will not let the connection be broken by hearing from him and then not doing what he told me. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're coming right now. And you know, and you know that the Lord is speaking to you. There are areas where God has told you to do things and you have not done it. This appeal is for you. Here's what will happen if you do not obey God. His voice will get, it will be like turning the volume down. Slowly but surely, his voice will be so indiscernible that you will no longer hear him anymore. You cannot continue to tell God no. And then one day, jump up and think you're going to say yes. It doesn't work like that. The Bible calls that the sin against the Holy Ghost. The blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. He is telling you to obey him. There are things that he is telling you to do. But for whatever the reason, you have not obeyed the Lord. And the Lord is now saying, I can't trust him. I can't trust her. They don't respect my voice. They don't value what I'm saying. They've asked me, come into their lives, change their lives, bless them. But when I start trying to do it, they love to worship. They love to praise. They love to, 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 to lift their hands. They love a powerful word, but they hate to obey. And the Lord is saying to us right now, that's why your life doesn't look like Jesus' life. Because two of those things are missing or one of them is. Anybody else this morning? Is anybody else? I want to make this very clear. If you are here today and God has told you to do something and as of today you have not done it, I want to invite you to come. I want to pray for you. I'm standing here right now. God has told you to do something. You have not done it. Are you here? I want you to come right now. There's no shame in this. There's no shame in this. 
The shame is in knowing that God told you to do something, but in your pride, you stay in your seat. That's a shame. God is saying right now, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to come. If the Lord is speaking to your heart right now, and you know God has spoken, do this, do that. Can I help you? Maybe somebody you need to talk to, but you've been putting it off. You better get down here right now. You may need to apologize and repent for something. You have not done it. You better move quickly. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. You ain't right. If you ain't right because you've not obeyed him, run to the altar and have mercy and say, God, have mercy on my soul. God, help me to want to obey you so that when I get to a place of obedience, I'm actually doing what I want to do. Anybody else? Hello? Yes, Lord. The way. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if you leave me, I cannot stray. Come even now. Lord, let me walk. Hallelujah. Each, each day with thee. Lead me, O oh Lord. Lead me, O oh Lord. Sing it one more time. Lead Anybody want to be led of God? I want to invite you to come out of your seat and pour down to this altar. Lead me. Lead me. Help me, Lord. Guide me. Oh, yes. Along the way. Lord, if you lead. Lord, if you lead. Yes. Me. Cannot stray. I like this part right here. Lord, let me walk. Yes, sir. Each day, each day, with thee. Lead me, O oh Lord. Lead me, O oh Lord. Lead me, O oh Lord. See me. Lead me, O Lord. Is there anyone that's been left out this morning? You need to be here right now. See, this is, this is the disconnect. You heard all that word. The Spirit convicted your heart. And this is practice. Getting up out of your seat and coming is practicing obeying. You have to learn to tell yourself no. Your flesh is saying, don't go. No, let's just stay right where you are. You ain't that bad. No, no, no. But, the, but you know the Spirit is telling you. Move. Practice obedience. Get into the habit of doing what I'm telling, I tell you to do. It starts right now. It starts right now. The Lord, if the Lord is telling you to pull out of your seat and receive this prayer right now, then I'm asking you to come. That you might be a person who is committed to doing what God says no matter what. That's where the blessing comes. That's where it comes. That's how you get a life like Christ's. 
where you're not in a hurry, you ain't stressed, stuff doesn't get under your skin, you got folk trying to kill you, but it doesn't matter because you know what your father has said and you're clear. I know what he wants me to do and I'm going to do it. Ten, I'm inviting you to come. Somebody might need to join this church this morning. Pull out of this seat and come right now. The Lord, that might be the instruction God's given you. I told you to join this church. And I want you to obey. Practice obeying him right now. Join right now. Join right now. Join right now. Come out of your seat right now. If he's telling you, this is the time to practice obedience. When I was down at Oakwood University, I never shall forget. Anytime an appeal was made, if it got, if it got next, if it was in my same zip code, I would come. Because I wanted to get in the habit of obedience. If you'll notice, me and the pastor, no matter who is preaching, just because we're the preachers doesn't mean we don't make a move. We come. We move because we want to be in the habit of practicing obedience. There's some of us, we never move because we don't feel, we're this, this, this is beneath us. But God is telling you right now. He is speaking. My eyes are closed. I don't care who's coming. But if the Lord is speaking to your heart saying, I need you to practice humbling yourself and obeying, move out of your seat right now. No matter what your assignment is today. Usher, greeter, musician, I don't care. If the Lord is talking to your heart today, pull out of your seat and come and say, I need to practice obedience. God, I know what you've told me to do, but I have not done it. God, have mercy on me. I want to pray for you right now, but I need folk to come. Come right now. I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to pray. If you're coming, I want to pray right now. Father, right now, here it is. Number one, we need you to help us to make a habit out of spending time with you. And while we are in your presence, we need to learn how to hear your voice. We want, we want a clear distinction between our voice and your voice. And we know that takes effort. It takes work. It takes a commitment to that thing. We will not give up, but we will stay in your face. Next, Lord, we know that you're going to speak to us. So that when you start speaking, give us the courage to do what you told us to do. That's how we get like Jesus. We hear what you say and we obey. Right now, God, all over this sanctuary, there are people who, are, who, who they agree with the message. They, they know where they are, including the pastor from the pastor to the pew. We sit here right now. We say, God, we know what the problem is. Our lives don't look like Jesus' life because we ain't obedient. God, I'm praying right now. If you just lift your hands, brothers and sisters, as just as an act of surrender, just lift your hands to him and say, Lord, Lord, come into my heart right now. Give me courage to do that thing I don't want to do. Give me strength right now to do that thing. Help me not to worry about results. Help me not to worry about the outcome. Help me not to worry about what people say. Help me to do what it is that you have told me to do. And there is a blessing for those who are obedient. Oh, the Bible says that the blessings of the Lord will overtake your life. They will overtake. They will overtake your life. You'll be ah like this. You'll be blessed in the city. Hey, blessed in the field. Come on, y'all. Blessed when you come in, huh? Blessed when you go out. Blessed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody come today to join the church? Anyone come today to join the church? God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that word. I'm looking for... Pastor Joel Johnson, if he is here. Pastor Johnson, are you in the building? All right. I want to invite our deacons now to come forward to uh, receive our tithes and offering at this time.
If you'll remain seated, just remain seated, remain seated, remain seated. The deacons come and place the tithes and offering. Thank you so much. At this time, I want to invite Pastor Joel Johnson, if you'll come forward at this time. Uh, It's a special announcement that we want to share with you today. Pastor Joel Johnson is so kind to come to us. He is the youth director of this conference. Amen. The Allegheny West Conference, uh, he has spent, I believe, somewhere near 20 years at Pine Forge Academy, 19 years, so almost 20 years there at Pine Forge Academy, which, of course, you know, is the premier boarding academy uh, for Adventism right now, and, of course, I believe more years than that in youth ministry, and he has an announcement to make to you today, and I pray that all of you got the one call this week about the meeting we're having after church, but please hear you him. Thank you, Pastor Coxum, and good morning, Glenville. It's so wonderful to be home right here in Glenville, and I see they still got my seat up there where I used to sit, so we're all good. I'm so happy to be here today uh, to uh, bring to you information and inspiration about the Pathfinder ministry, and I know our time is short now, so I'll give a little bit more most in the second service, but we are having a meeting this afternoon after the second service to talk about the revitalization and the rebirth of Pathfinders in Glenville. Amen. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you will uh, discover if you do a research in the Adventist church that one of the strongest, if not the strongest entity within the Adventist church is the Pathfinder organization. It continues to grow. It is alive and well. Uh, Most of you are aware that every five years we have a major event in the North American division, which is United States and Canada, which is the uh, Pathfinder Campery in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, This will be, I think, the fifth time or the fourth time that they're having it. Uh, The first time they had 15,000 Pathfinders. The next time that they had it five years later, it was 20,000 Pathfinders. Uh, the last time they had it, they said we were going to have 25,000 Pathfinders. It ended up being 30,000 Pathfinders. Now, five years later, 2014, we're about to have it, and they said they were going to have 30,000 Pathfinders. At the present time, they are anticipating 40,000 Pathfinders camping out for one week together. Can you imagine that? 40, we're not talking about in hotels. We're talking about in tents. We're not talking about 40. We're not talking about 1,000. We're not talking about 4,000. We're talking about 40,000 Pathfinders working and camping together and enjoying this. It, we may have had struggles in, in many areas within the North American Division and even in Allegheny West. But we are, are revitalized, and it is growing, and it is one of the strongest entities within the church. And let me tell you why Pathfinders are so strong. It is strong because it has a strong structure. Without structure and foundation, any building that you build will collapse. But if the foundation is strong and the structure is well, it will not, you not only can build it, but it will stand for a long period of time. And the mere fact that Pathfinders is growing tells us that it has a foundation and structure, 
What we need to do is become a part of that structure and that organization. If we have the organization and the structure, it will grow. And I want to appeal to everyone in Glenville to support Pathfinder Ministry. I, when, I, uh, when I talk with the individuals involved here with the Pathfinder program, uh, I, I said one of the things that we have to do, and I'm going to be very honest, and as I look in the audience, I don't see that many anyway, but we want our young people. Pathfinders is usually age 10 to 16. Could be a little bit older, young people, and usually they become teen counselors. But when we talk about growing Pathfinders, I normally don't market to kids first teenagers, 10 to 16 year olds. I market to parents first. I need to talk with you first because you are the ones who should be making the decision whether or not your path, your child is in Pathfinder or not, not your child. Your child should want to come and hopefully they will, but whether they do or not, that's not the question. The, the decision of parenting is not the, uh, or the work of parenting is not the job of the child. It's the job of the parent. parent. And too many parents are letting children decide whether or not they want to get the education and the foundation and the structure that they need. You know, have you ever, just a quick, I know, oh boy, I got a little bit of time. Um, have you ever seen a, you know what a couch potato is? How many have heard couch potato? And usually when that, when that terminology first came out of pop, uh, 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 a couch potato, we saw a kind of obese man, half-shaven, sitting on a recliner chair with a beer in his hand and popcorn on the other side and watching the Browns lose again. That's what, that's what we look at, and I love the Browns, you know that. But, but that's what we see when we see a couch potato. We see some adult. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not the couch potato in 2014. The couch potato in 2014 are teenagers. And let me paint a picture and let me see if somebody understands what I'm talking about. You got a teenager sitting down, watching television, on his cell phone, and using his iPad in the other hand. All at the same time, talking on the phone, working their iPad, and watching TV at the same time for hours. And parents are letting them do that rather than make the connection and the foundation and the training of our young people for Christ, connecting with Christ through nature as they should be. And let me say one other thing. That's why Pathfinder still exists because it, 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 it is the same program. It, it hasn't really changed. It's the same program it's always been because nature does not change. And what we do uh, with Pathfinding Program is getting our young people in connection and in touch with God through nature. And because nature doesn't change, the structure has not had to change. So there's so much that I want to say, but I want to appeal to you as parents, as grandparents, and those of you that are great-grandparents, those of you who have no uh, children at home or never have had children, those of you that are just supporters of Glenville and its ministry, for all people, especially young people, we need your support. We need your encouragement, and as parents, we need for you to parent your children and put them with the best advantage possible of salvation. Last illustration, I'm going to sit down. There are some people that are rich, and there's a terminology of rich people that they, they, uh, and their children. They say that these individuals are born with a silver 
spoon in their mouth. Have you ever heard that before? When you, you know, when you got that rich blood, you're born with a silver spoon. In other words, you've got so much money that you, have, you are able to give your child every advantage to be successful in this life. So the terminology is born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, I wasn't born with a silver spoon. Not money. The silver spoon of our youth today is the church. That gives us every advantage to gain eternal life. And therefore, here is an opportunity for you and I. All right. Okay. That, that, that must mean my time is gone. <laughs> But here is an opportunity for you to put a silver spoon in your, in your young people's mouths. Give them every advantage and every opportunity in this life for eternal life. And therefore, pathfinding needs to be a, a, an important part of your child or the children of Glenville, their program. The church, we must do everything we can as a church for our young people. And as parents, you need to make that decision. Son and daughter, I want you to be a part of this ministry because I'm trying to give you every advantage for eternal life.